Bill Schwartz from uh, Western Christian College is the speaker for the men's retreat this weekend. And Bill shared some fascinating information about various things, a lot of it having to do actually with stress and our reaction to stress. And one of the things that he described, and I, I don't know if you can picture this or not, but some of you from your science days will remember what a chromosome ladder looks like. And it's kind of twisted a little bit, and then there are these rungs across the ladder of the chromosome. Okay, ringing some bells. Now what I didn't know, I mean I have that picture in my mind of what this chromosome looks like. What I didn't know was that on the, the top of the, of the uh, sides of the ladder, if you will, on the top of the, the sides of the ladder, there is a, a material, the name of which I can't remember. Bill used this name and I can't remember what it is. But the, right, on the, right on the top of the, uh, of the sides of the ladder is this material that when your stress level is high, gets eroded. And your cells won't function right your chromosomes won't function right unless the material at the top of the ladder is intact. And with time, chronic stress wears that material down. And it, when all of the material, it's kind of, it's imagine, um, well, it's just this, this coating at the top of the, the ends of the ladder. When that coating wears away, then the various strands that make up the ends of that ladder split apart. And so you have maybe six or seven or, or ten ends that are kind of, you know, uh, you know how a rope frays? And you get the, the frayed end of the rope? It looks like the, the frayed end of a rope when that material at the top of the edges of the ladder is not holding those strands together. And when that happens, your body begins to break down. He described how what that is is the process of aging and about how stress will do a number on that coating at the top of the sides of the ladder and that it ages you more quickly than you would like to age. And so I, we made the comment, you know, President Bush goes into office and he looks one age. When he comes out, he looks way older. Not just eight years older, but way older. Obama goes into office and he's in there for just a couple of years. And have you noticed how much older he looks in a very short period of time? Because of this massive amount of stress that is on a person. Well, that was interesting to hear that description of what stress does. What was really fascinating was that not only is that coating eroded, but that there are things that one can do to actually build it back up. Now, normally, when we think of something like brain cells, you know, they always say, well, brain cells can't regenerate. They, you know, once they die, brain cells die, they can't be regenerated. They're just dead. But Bill was explaining how this coating at the top of the edges of the ladder can actually be regenerated and it is regenerated when a person starts to do better, when they're not under stress and especially if they do something which is a direct counteraction to that stress. For example, laughter. Laughter and grins and good feelings restore that coating that is at the top of our chromosome ladders. Now, when you say that, you almost expect then that someone like all of you should start laughing. Because, yes, exactly, because 
you realize that every time you laugh, you're going to be doing something positive, rebuilding that coating. So I think we should enjoy a good belly laugh this morning and become very healthy. So let's all laugh together. Are you ready? One, two, three. <laughs> Don't you feel better already? I know I do. I feel so much less stressed. Every Sunday I have to get up and stand in front of you and I'm supposed to have something compelling to say. And it just, sometimes it just stresses me out. Maybe what I should do is that every Sunday morning I just, I should start out with a session of laughter. And, and we would all just be, end up so much healthier and I, all my stress would go away. Well, it was exciting for me to hear that that coding could be restored through something like laughter. And it reminded me as I was thinking how restorative God is. God restores people. And people, you know, we're, we don't always do right. We don't do, do what God wants us to do. Sometimes we're not the, the happy, positive forces in our world that we should be. But God, through his spirit, works in our lives and he restores us. He makes us new and he makes us different and, and vibrant. And he gives life back to that which is dead. And so we cannot be functioning so well, almost moving in the direction of depression or deadness or something. And God restores us through the presence of his spirit, and he makes us new. And I'm glad that he does that with chromosomes. I'm glad that he does that with our spiritual lives as well. Well, we actually go through a kind of almost a cycle in our church year, do we not, where we go through a, a time during the summer when, when things are a little bit lack. In, in, is that the right word? Things are, are just not quite as vibrant during the summertime, but then we come around to fall and things get restored a bit. And we saw some restoration take place last week when Bobby was here and Jim Putnam was here. And it was just a, a good feel and a, a sense of let's get back on track and we start moving again. And God does something, I think, every fall as we start moving back into being uh, the, the vibrant body that we were uh, perhaps in May before we all decided that we needed to break. And so we get back together, and it's exciting when we do. It, it, I have to admit, I, I think I said this last week, I love it when summer's over. Like everybody else kind of says, oh, we don't want summer to end. Not that we had a great summer this year, but we don't want it to end. And uh, there's a part of me that thinks, oh, I do want it to end. Because it means everybody will be back, and we'll be thinking about doing the Lord's work and working in the church again, and it's just an exciting time for me. And so I'm always blessed when that occurs for us. Well, this morning, I wanted to chronicle some of the good things that are happening as we begin here, because I feel like this is a renewing time for us. Maybe God is putting some, some of that material back at the top of our ladders. And so, as we begin fall 2010, there are some things look, look the same for us. For example, life groups are beginning again. We talked about that a lot last week. We've got teen and young adult ministries uh, that are kind of taking off. In fact, I'm excited especially about our young adult uh, ministry and the way that it's already starting to take off this fall. In fact, I wanted to introduce two young ladies over here, Bethany and Haiti. Stand up for a sec, would you please? I love you both, and I want you to stand and greet the crowd. Hi, crowd. Yeah, very good. Okay, you can have a seat. These two ladies are from Victoria. And uh, Bethany, I, I was there when Bethany was born. I've known her her whole life. And uh, she has heard my voice from the pulpit countless times. And she just, she couldn't stand it. She wanted to come back and hear it again. So she's moved to Calgary so that she can attend Rocky Mountain College along with Haiti. And we're very grateful that the two of you were here. And they're going to be part of our young adults group. And that's just fantastic. Should we welcome them? <laughs> nice to have you here. For those, for those of you who know Kirk and Vivian Roberts, 
Bethany is Kirk and Vivian's daughter. Um, so our teen and young adult ministries are taking off, and I'm excited about that. We've got men's and women's uh, ministries that are taking off also, and we have special events happening, uh, like our clothing exchange is coming up here in a couple of weeks. And we're just excited about all the things that God uh, is doing among us. Some other things that look the same. We have some regular events that are starting again, like Moms and Tots has already started. If you're a, a, a lady who has small children and you want to come here on Wednesday mornings, show up about uh, 9.30 or 10 o'clock. I think it's 10 o'clock. Isn't that right, ladies? And you'll be blessed by the possibility of being here from, uh, for just sharing and fellowshipping with uh, all the ladies and the kids get to play a bit and it's just a wonderful time. We've got Sp- Friends Speak that is starting. Chelsea Roberts is specifically in charge of helping with Friends Speak and uh, making available some English practice for those who are not first language, uh, English is their first language speakers, they have a chance to grow in their facilitation of the English language. We've got Ignite that has already started again for our teens and we're excited about that. Our grade four through six parties have also begun and we've got Ladies Thursday uh, Study Life Group happening as well. So if you are interested on Thursday mornings and studying with the ladies, then you can talk to Marlene Ashby about that. So lots of good things going on. There are some things, though, that look quite a bit different. For example, our elders, and you'll remember this from May of 2010, added a renewed vision to our traditional mission, emphasizing our need to do a couple of things. Now, we've had this mission up here for a long time, to be like Jesus and loving, serving God and humanity. We will follow the Bible, minister to Christians, reach out to the world. One of the things that's happened in the last few months is we've said, as a church, we really need to focus on this last part of our mission, the part about reaching out to the world, that we want badly for God to bless us so that we can reach out to the world in a renewed way. And so reaching out to the world has become for us, we hope, a significant focus. And our renewed mission looks like this. We want to be reaching the world for the Lord Jesus Christ one person at a time. Now, we haven't yet uh, put up a banner or a sign or anything that kind of encapsulates, encapsulates this renewed mission, but I'm looking forward to us doing that soon as we help everyone to see how important it is for us to focus on reaching out to the whole world and certainly to this part of our world for the Lord Jesus Christ. Another thing we've talked about is making disciples through relational environments. And we said that that essentially amounts to our life group program. We want as many people as possible to be involved in life groups. It's just a, it's a thing that is so necessary for our church family to grow and to be all that it needs to be for us to be involved in our life group program. And then this last week when Jim Putman was here, we especially focused on the notion of relational discipleship as the key to our spiritual and numerical growth. And what Jim said, and I think he's right, a a guy who is working for a church that's gone from zero to 8,500 in 10 years must have something to say. And what he said is, for us to have strong relationships, especially within the context of something like a life group, makes it possible for us to help others be discipled for Jesus. You know, we, I I was commenting uh, to somebody this week, I've seen this material now from Real Life Ministries and many times and I've been to both of the immersion one and two sessions that they have where they talk about the whole notion of relational discipleship but it didn't really hit me until this week this this one kind of key idea and I and I know it's there but it for some reason it just didn't hit me quite this way and that is we always talk about how we want to do evangelism we want to reach out to the world for the Lord Jesus Christ 
But I've never thought so much in terms of, of not just talking to people about Jesus as much as all of us having the responsibility of helping make disciples for Jesus. So that your role and my role is not just to talk to other people about Christ. Your role and my role is to help other people become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a little bit of a nuance there, a little bit of a, a difference between just talking to people about Jesus in terms of evangelism and actually discipling them for the Lord. And, and the main thing that strikes me is this. When, and see if this doesn't work for you. When I think of evangelism and the, the role of talking to other people about Jesus, I think of something that I'm supposed to do right now. Something I need to get about the task with. Like I need to talk to people about Jesus today. If I have a coworker that needs Christ, I need to talk to him about Jesus today so I can evangelize him for Jesus. But the notion of discipleship speaks to me of process. And I think to myself, you know, rather than feeling like I'm compelled to talk to somebody about Jesus right now, I'm called to, over time, build relationship with somebody that will allow them to see Jesus in me. And that with time will allow me to talk to them about Christ because of the relationship that we've built without me feeling like they're my target. This isn't somebody that I'm going after. Instead, there are lots of people around our world and that we know well with whom we need to build relationships with the opportunity over time, perhaps, of helping them to see who Jesus is. There's a difference there between just evangelism and building relations that make for discipleship. And I have a feeling that the second way is going to be way more effective and productive as we attempt to expand the kingdom. So there's lots of good things that we've been doing, lots of things going on. And then, also as we begin the fall of 2010, we've got this notion that our study theme on Sunday mornings has been established for us as well. We have this big, beautiful banner up here, walking anew with Jesus. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the reason that we're focusing there is because we really feel like it's time that we move back to, in some ways, a refocus on who Jesus is. What we'll find is that our life groups are actually focusing there as well. There's a curriculum that we're going to go through with our orality series. It's focused specifically on who Jesus is. And on Sunday mornings when we're together, we're going to also talk about specifically who Jesus is and do a study through the Gospels and look at some of the, the stories about Christ and some of the claims and teachings that Jesus made. And we're feeling like for us to focus on Jesus in the fall is just going to be such a positive thing as we kind of go back to the roots of our faith. It's one thing to talk about the church. It's one thing to talk about our mission. It's a beautiful thing to talk about who Jesus is. And then to have the life of Jesus specifically impact us in positive ways. So that's where we're going to go for the fall. And what I want you to do right now is I want you to turn to John chapter 8, verse 12. We've already read this passage this morning. I want to read it again and just make a couple of comments and then I'll be done for my part this morning. John chapter 8, verse 12. What page is that on in the Pew Bibles again? 757? Oh, sorry, 796. Are there any other possibilities? <laughs> maybe I, maybe I misheard the first time. 
When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now there's a lot of claims that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John where he says something that starts with I am. Some people say that there are seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. I actually think there are more than that. There's at least nine or ten places where Jesus uses this language, I am the bread of life, or I am the light of the world, or I am the resurrection and the life, or I am the way, the truth, and the life, or I am the true vine, or I am the good shepherd, or I am the door for the sheep. He says those kinds of things. And this language, we've talked about this before, is emphatic. When he says, I am the light of the world, he doesn't just say, I am the light of the world. In Greek, Jesus says, I, I am the light of the world. It's an emphatic statement. It doesn't come across in English very well. I wish, I wish that the English translation actually said that. It would be quite accurate to say, I, I am the light of the world. Or I, I am the bread of life. I, I am the door for the sheep. Totally appropriate for it to be translated that way because that's really what Jesus was saying. And my question this morning is, do we believe this? And what does this mean for us specifically with reference to making disciples? Do we believe this? And what does this say to us? What does this mean for us with reference to to our making of disciples. Let's imagine for the moment that we really do believe with all our hearts and minds that Jesus is the light of the world. Let's imagine that we really do believe that Jesus is in fact the answer for all the world. Now I'm, I'm making some claims Inherent claims in that when I say that Jesus is the light of the world. One thing I'm saying is that if Jesus is the light of the world, there are no other lights. There are no other lights. When I say Jesus is the light of the world, I'm making an exclusivistic claim, an exclusionary claim. I'm saying, here's my belief system and I'm bracketing this and I'm saying that Jesus is the light of the world and there are no other lights out there. The people are not going to find a, a source of life and truth in another place. Now that's, um, that's a controversial kind of idea today. It's a controversial statement. Maybe not so much in this crowd, but for me to stand over here at the Marlboro train station, for example, on a Monday morning rather than on a Sunday morning with you, if I was to stand on the platform there and I just started saying to everybody, hey, I just want to tell you that Jesus is the light of the world. He's the answer for us all. There is no other belief system. There's no other faith system that you need to be relying on or in which you need to put your hope. In fact, those other belief systems are not actually true when the belief system that we have about Christianity is. Now, if I was to say that, in this part of the city especially, I think, over here in public on the Marlboro platform, I probably could find myself in trouble, potentially. I think there are some people who would say, wait a minute, you can't be 
ruling out the possibility that all these other faiths have something to say. You can't be so exclusivistic. We live in a world that just doesn't allow that. But I believe that that's true. I believe that Jesus is the answer for the world today, we would sing. I do believe that he is the way, the way, the truth, and the life. I do believe that he's the light of the world. And so if we really do believe that, and I think there's a lot of you that do, what does that mean for us with respect to making disciples in our world? Because it seems to me that if we believe that, we're also inherently saying that there are millions of people around us who don't believe the truth that we believe about Jesus and are therefore lost. I believe they're lost. I believe that they're not in relationship with God. I believe that they stand apart from him. My sense about them is that they are not, they're not in the same place I am spiritually. They're not going down the same path. They don't believe what I believe is the truth. And because of that, they find themselves outside of God's will for their life. And somebody, somehow, somewhere, is going to have to talk to them about the truth. Somebody needs to be compelled to tell them about Jesus. Now, we've already said this morning that we're not going to just feel guilty about this need to talk to somebody about Christ. Then instead, we see the need for relationship building. For us to have relationships with people build solid relationships with them, and help them to come to see who Jesus is in the context of relationship with us. And if I believe that Jesus is the light of the world and he's the only answer for the world and he's the answer for all those people out there that we are convinced are lost, then we have a huge role to play. Like, did you ever think to yourself, boy, I'd like to be doing something in the church, but I just don't know what? I'm not sure how I can serve. I don't know what, where my talents are. I don't know the ways in which the church could really use me. I don't know what ministry in which to be involved. Let me tell you the best ministry in which you can be involved. That is simply building relationships with those around you. Making it possible for those people that you care for, that you work with, that you know and oftentimes know so well. Give them opportunity through knowing you to be, in put, to be put in touch with your Savior. It seems to me like that's the, the logical, natural kind of role that all of us have. It's hard for me to imagine that in the days, in the days of the early church, that all the Christians, when they were baptized, 3,000 of them on the day of Pentecost, that they finished that session and they all said to themselves, now, what ministry should we be involved in in the church? What elder should I call in order for him to tell me what ministry I can sign up for? I don't think that happened. Instead, you have people who suddenly discovered that Jesus was the light of the world. That he was the source of life for everybody. 
that they all needed to hear about him, that there was a chance now for them to influence another and draw them too into the circle of Christ's love and forgiveness. That's what all the church was doing. That's why it grew so rapidly. And we have the chance to do the same thing. You know lost people. And with some intentionality in building relationship with them, you have a chance to bring them into that circle of love and forgiveness in Christ, which is the only source of life those people have. And so I have no doubts today, but that God has called us together for at least this purpose so that we can understand what it is that God calls us to in ministering to a lost and dying world. And he's placed in your life and in your heart the possibility of having significant impact on another. When Jim Putman was here, I think he was calling us to respond to the opportunity. And we do need to respond. So I'm encouraging you. I'm compelling you. I'm teaching you. But this is what I think God calls us to. And every one of us has some way that we can respond to that positively. Taking the light of Christ, into the world. We've said that we want our life groups to be a relational environment in which this happens. That's not the only way it can happen, but that's a significant way that it can happen. And I hope that you seize that opportunity and be part of one and invite others to join it. People who don't know Jesus, invite them to come and be part of your life group. And give them the opportunity of hearing and growing in the Lord. We're going to be focusing on the story of Jesus in those life groups. And so people will have a chance to hear just the the essence of the gospel, the life of Christ. Nothing heavy, no heavy theology. Just the simple story of Jesus being told all over our city, in little groups, throughout the week, with people having a chance to come and hear that gospel. We pray that God uses us in a significant way to help us have an impact in our community, and I think that can happen. But so much depends on our, on our choices there, our decisions. What will we do with this? I hope we seize the opportunities. Let's pray together. Lord God, you have blessed us with a unique, precious opportunity to have an impact in our world. We believe you want us to. We don't think there's anything that can stand in our way, God, when you're with us. And so work on our hearts and our minds and help us to make great decisions for you. Help us to build relationships with other people. Help us, Father, to be part of groups that will allow for us to grow and for our our friends to grow. Father, we want to see daily conversions. We want to see daily people impacted by the good news of Jesus. We want your love and forgiveness for people to be spread, for the kingdom to grow. And God, we believe you can do that.
So send your spirit among us. Change our hearts and minds. Help us to focus on where you want us to focus. And Father, we just look for the wonderful ways in which you're going to work in our body. We thank you for this blessing through Christ. Amen.